Hello everyone, hope you've been well. Today on Ghost Travelers Podcast, we will be talking with Tim Shaw. Tim is a well-known paranormal investigator and a medium out in Lilydale, New York. Today we'll talk to Tim about how he got into the paranormal and also how he tuned in and trained himself to use his mediumship abilities. Also, we'll be talking to Tim about his favorite haunted location and that's the Hindu house. So please join us on this journey with Tim Shaw. Hello everyone, this is PJ, your co-host for Ghost Travelers Podcast. Today I'm with uh, Tim Shaw. Tim, how are you today? You know what? I am great. Honored to be here. How are you doing today, PJ? I'm doing good. We're trying to suffer through this uh, negative degree temperature up here in Wisconsin. How are you doing in New York? We uh, hit a balmy 19 today. So, (laughs) it's all the same. Whether it's just above the minus sign or below the minus sign, it all feels cold. I would rather be up in the 20s and besides in a negative 6 today, so. (laughs) You have the warm front right now. You know what's scary is when you call that a warm front. Yeah, it is. So, uh, for my listeners that's not even know a little bit about you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I don't even know where to begin. I I first started uh, doing paranormal. I should say paranormal. Uh, there was the religion of spiritualism has been in my family since the 1880s. So, um, naturally, I mean, I kind of uh, followed that religion. And uh, slowly, uh, eventually, I became a, me- uh, a medium. And uh, I worked uh, some various different churches over the years. I think the first time I was exposed to it was probably about 1972. And uh, with the training, I got through the uh, Lilydale Spiritual Assembly, which is a, uh, uh, a spiritualist community here in western New York. Uh, I, I went to uh, children's seances when I was probably about 10 or 11, 9, 10, 11 years old, somewhere around there. And uh, we did a lot of extra work uh, uh, through them. And basically, uh, it's because we had relatives there that li- had lived there. And we'd go and visit them on Sundays and and such. And uh, as a kid, we used to have, you know, we used to get in a lot of trouble. So they enrolled us in what they call a lyceum, which is the Sunday school of uh, you know, the spiritualist religion out there. And uh, slowly, I, I kind of just, it always stuck with me. And it's funny, because I, I went and I was brought up both Roman Catholic and spiritualist. And uh, spiritualism made a lot more sense. And over the years, uh, probably, I would say, early early 80s, I had, I had stopped doing everything at probably about 80... I got married in 82, so probably right around 1980, I really had stopped, you know, working in the field, and uh, probably seven years, eight years after that, I, I started coming back to it, but by then, there was a whole new, a whole new trade going on, I mean, with a, you know, there was a lot more uh, uh, of what we considered paranormal, and uh, I've never stopped since, so that's, that's, that's my story in a nutshell. Uh, for people... Um, 
the younger generation that was not around in the 80s, can you tell us what the 80s and later 80s, what it was like for the paranormal field? It was a lot different. I mean, you didn't have all your gadgets, and you didn't have, I mean, you had made, you made recordings, and you, you, you know, I mean, we never really used IR cameras or anything of that nature. Uh, most of the time, we used, uh, uh, and again, this is working through the religions, uh, different the different independent spiritualist churches. We used to use what they called uh, spirit rescue circles, which was where a, a bunch of uh, mediums would get together and go to a house that may have uh, a haunting going on, and you would pray and you would try to do uh, through psychic, you know, mediumship and psychic work, uh, try to contact that that spirit, either convince it to go on or, or try to call down its. Uh, mm-hmm. relatives and friends from the other side and and alleviate it in those ways and that's some of the clearings too but i mean i was also brought up at the beginning of the new age and that's like the first psychic fairs and uh i mean you had all sorts of like back in the 60s and 70s uh i would say uh psychic studies were really starting to get re you know starting to uh, become very, very popular again, and they have, uh, they used to have all sorts of games out, you know, of course you had the Kreskin ESP games, and you had all these other, uh, you know, ESP games out, and there were uh, TV shows, you had uh, uh, The Sixth Sense that was, that was on regular TV, you had Kolchek the Night Stalker that was on, uh, so there was a real heavy influence of it back then. Also, you had specials, especially like, you know, right around, I would say the fall, like Halloween, where you would have Peter James, he was the late Peter James, he was a psychic, uh, they would be filming him going to different haunted areas, and you would have, you know, other TV shows, even the, even when the History Channel first started, they had, uh, uh, when Cable was in its infancy, they had a whole series uh, called The Hauntings, which was all about uh poltergeists and vampires and that and all sorts of legends so it was yeah it was a pretty exciting time back when i was growing up that sounds very interesting when you mentioned uh um you were becoming into the mediumship what kind of brought you into that field were you born as a medium or did it came through on when you were into the paranormal investigating and it got more height and Everybody's born into it. Hands down, no, you're not going to convince me any any other way. I took classes with uh, Tom Brown Jr., who is a, uh, he's an, a, a great natural tracker, and uh, he's an American mystic as far as I'm concerned. If anybody's ever read his books or had have gone and uh, studied with him, you'll find out that he is huge into the philosophy that the theory that when we were in the hunter-gatherer stages, we needed something to keep us alive and keep our tribe alive. So we used this sixth sense to tell us where herds were and, and where there was shelter and fresh water and where other warring tribes would be. So everybody has it. And as time went on and we started living behind walls and we started staying in one area, we kind of lost it. It kind of disappeared. And the only people that could really use this and 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 really marshal it were shamans and holy men and that sort of thing so it's more of what we consider muscle memory 
uh, you can train yourself to do it. Now, everybody is not, you know, everybody's not equal. So, I mean, there's different things that other people will be very, very interested in, or I should say be easier trained in than others. Uh, and for me, I uh, always had this, always knew I had something. And when I was exposed to the religion back in the 70s, I was able to go and it was just something that uh, was just natural. And I got a chance to meet some of the old timers, you know, the, the great old mediums out there, and uh, was heavily influenced by them. And I would say that I was a lot more influenced by mediumship than I was in the paranormal because for a long, for the longest time, I thought used to think the paranormal, the people that what what they were doing in the paranormal uh, might be a little bit goofy, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was, but then we're talking way back, way back then, and and I mean, I was, I was uh, uh, fully uh, aware of what the Roll Institute and the work of uh, the James and uh, uh, all the other ones and a lot of the pioneers of spiritualism. Uh, I was very, very aware of all that. So uh, it was different. And I came, I'd say, uh, I never really uh, used it, uh, or even meant to use it, for uh, the work in paranormal. It just sort of happened to blend. And I was lucky because when I first started going, I was on uh, CBS radio for a number of years, and then I was on uh, Internet radio, Parax Radio Network, and a couple other ones. Always had a uh, internet show for oh, I would say probably, probably thirteen years total. And back when I first started, uh, the two were very, very separate. Uh, you had mediums and psychics, and you had paranormal people. And I was lucky because I had kind of started getting influence, I should say, practice and experiences in both. And when everything started to blend together that's when I kind of flourished a little bit more. Uh, but I would say, like, my the abilities are all the same. To me, the abilities are all the, you know, my abilities are the same. The only thing is, as I do, is I, I became very, very focused. Uh, I, you know, if, some, if, I'm, if somebody's running a team, I ask them, do you want me to do a psychic uh, walkthrough? Or do you want me to do contact work? Or do you want me just to be a member of the team and show up and, and, and you know, work audio or, you know, do IR or whatever? It's up to that member. And that's where I'm very, I'm very, very focused with that. So I hope that's a long way of answering a simple question. No, it is. Um, when you started your training on your mediumship, are, were you beforehand can you be able to see the spirits or tell if they're male or female in the beginning or did it uh, carry on when you got older more experienced with it the more it, it, it was something that uh, I always knew something was there I'm an energy guy so I could always tell that there was energy there I could always tell a little something about it but it wasn't until I had to take some hardcore classes and practices where I could start to discern male, female, uh, what uh, the relationship might have been, uh, what the message might have been. That was that was all. Um, that was just all practice and uh, classwork. 
I was I was able to see I'm trying to think I was able to see aura right up until about you know objectively, which means through the eyes. Uh, subjectively is in all in your brain, but all uh, objectively, I saw aura right up until the mm, probably about the late '80s, and I had taken a a, a hardcore uh, class up in Lilydale. Uh, through one of the churches called Advanced Mediumship. It was a five-day intensive class where, I mean, we would uh, we would do book work from uh, 9 a.m. till like 11, break for lunch, and then you were expected to do gallery, which is the uh, open readings, uh, you know, and you were working in pods or groups. Then you would do individual readings. Then you would come back and you would do uh, you would do more book work and more technique work. After that, you were expected to take part in uh, a what they call a gallery reading, mm-hmm. where you know you stand. They call you up, and then you stand in front of a crowd of a group, and then you, you know, you kind of bring through messages to certain people that you could, you know, that you feel that you could pull to. And I did that for five solid days. Wow! And it uh, uh, at the end of it, I lost the entire ability to see anything. You know, anything objective. And I thought I broke myself. And I went to the my mentor, who was the instructor at the time, and I said, what about this? You know, what what do I do? What I, Did I break myself? And she says, no. She goes, you were always chosen to be a gallery reader. She goes, I, I know that from talking to people here uh, way back when you were a kid. And you took a lot of classes and you took a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of uh, uh, important stuff uh, back then to learn how to do it. Then now you actually do it, and it's quicker because we're uh, gallery is part of uh, the spiritualist church services. They it actually is. So in the middle of like your church service or at the end of the church service, depending on what style you're using, uh, they do a gallery, and that's part partially to uh, try to bring proof to that to someone in the living that spiritualism. Uh, the belief that uh, nothing dies, that we only change form, uh, is actual proof. So uh, it was a fi- it was a quicker way of doing it. That's I mean it was very very intensive and very quick. So uh, we are uh, when we go up when we stand at the podium when we are uh, called to witness or we're called to bring uh, uh, to do gallery, uh, we have to bring. Three, we have to bring in three distinct personalities uh, for three people uh, in 12 minutes. So you've got to be able, you can't be sitting there and, you know, as a student, you, they'll give you a leeway where, you know, you're trying to do, make that contact work. But as you grow up and you start working in the faith, you've got to be up there and you've got to be ready to go at a, at a minute's notice. So, yeah, that's a, it's, 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 it was I'll be honest with you. I am with not what they consider a natural medium, uh, which is someone who just really doesn't have any training and just kind of, you know, stumbles into stuff and, and tries to learn that way. Uh, I was lucky because I had some very very strict instructors and very good instructors who pushed pushed me to a limit where uh, uh, you know where I just was like I hit my I hit my I hit the wall, and uh, I'll never forget that that kind of training. And I've always been thankful for it. Are you still in uh, training courses to this day with the same church? Or are you with a different church doing the same training? 
I am independent now. So uh, whenever Lilydale, whenever I find it, they have during the summer, with of course the exception of COVID here, mm -hmm. uh, they have uh, uh, classes. And whenever I see a class that I feel that is interests me, interests me, or really I, I need it to kind of brush up, you know, because everybody, you know, you get rusty, you fall into, you fall into bad habits. It's like it's like any sport. It's like uh, anything, writing, whatever, anything you do. You've, you know, I'll take a class here and there, and it really, uh, it really sharpens me up. It's like going to boot camp, and I also uh, offer uh, locally uh, in non-COVID years, of course. I offer what I call a mediums boot camp, where uh, I will bring in people that already are, uh, you know, that are already practicing, and I will give them a series of exercises and put them under some stress. Uh, you know, some stress situations to make them better, to push them to a, to, to a little bit further to the, you know, so they, it opens them up a little bit more. So, yeah, uh, to me, uh, classes are very, very, very important. Training is very, very, very important. Because to me, if you just blunder around as a natural medium without, uh, without mentorship, well, then you can pick up all sorts of bad habits. You don't know exactly what's going, you know, what has been experienced by other people uh, in the past. And uh, this way you, you don't fall into those bad habits. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that do. There's a lot of people that uh, uh, kind of, you know, do need the, you know, to me, I always say a, a, a medium or a psychic is a diamond in the rough. It just needs, that person just needs to be polished up a little bit to push them to that, you know, to, to be all they can be when they're out there working. Yeah. So if, no, that's very interesting. Um, for someone that kind of know that they have some kind of a mediumship or psychic abilities like they can feel uh just spirit energy when they leave the room and come in the room and you can tell where they are in the room how can you enhance that like some training that you were talking about basically basically uh it's gotta you have to work through meditation you have to work through it that's the only way you can do it in the beginning you have to really quiet your mind and then just do a projection which uh, is a visual effect in your, you know, when you're when you're meditating, it's almost like radar, and you push yourself out. You feel, it's like a field of vision, and you can kind of feel it. After a while, you don't have to do that. You can automatically walk into a room and just, in a breath, get into that zone, and you can feel the area where there's going to be energy. And then, if I'm on a psychic walkthrough, I will do that. I will just tell the I will tell the team member this is where I'm feeling it, guy. This is where I'm feeling it, and you know that sort of gives the investigators a place to start. Uh, later on, it's just it's what they call a series of questions where in meta, in a meditative state where you have to sit there and you have to go and say, okay, I feel this energy answer the question is it male or female what what does it feel you have to understand yes or no you have to kind of work with that uh show me a yes how does it make you feel when you get this yes from spirit uh or your body is reacting to something that's going in there so there's two ways of looking at it either spirit is controlling you or you're letting your body uh tell you what's going on 
So you have to ask yourself a series of questions. And after you get to your, after you can ascertain your yes or no, you then go into like male, female, uh, age, uh, eyes, hair. What, what did they look like? You know, and that's what you work with. Also, you have to, when it comes to energy, you have to, you have to, uh, uh, figure out if it's a spirit is you know it's a spirit we call them you know spirit personalities or the essence of spirit personalities uh the vibratory personalities you have to figure out if it is actually one of those or could it just be naturally occurring energy like psychokinetic energy or something that's in that area that just may be causing some kind of weird vibration or frequency when you walk into a negative haunting you've got to figure out where it's coming from. So you have to figure out if it's, if when, whatever you're encountering, is it a personality or is, may it be like a battery? Could this, whatever's going on here, could this be feeding into the haunting? So that's what you have to understand. You have to figure it out. Also, then you're also figuring out, is it a personality? Is it residual or natural? And, you know, you have to, you have to figure out your game plan there. Uh, it gives you a better clue of what's going on. It's just the fact that you have to sit there and in the beginning ask the questions. That's why I say, you know, you should find, I always recommend people to find mentors. If they can find somebody, and now with computers and Zoom meetings and that sort of thing, it's a lot easier now than it was when I was growing up. And I'm about an hour's drive away from the Lilydale Assembly. So, uh, you know, for me, it wasn't bad because I, an hour I'd be there and I could get take my classes. Uh, other people, they'd have to stay there for a week or two weeks in order to take all these, these classes that they wanted to take. So I was fortunate. Now with Zoom and with COVID, uh, there's more and more people using this, like a lot of the uh, uh, holistic association meetings and, and even classes. The, you know, uh, there are some friends of mine that do uh, Zoom me- mediumship classes. They, uh, it's a lot easier to figure it out. It's the hardest thing is trying to figure out who's good for you. Uh, you have to find a teacher that you really like and can help you. Another thing is, is how far can they, how far they can they help you? And after they're done helping you, you have to start looking for somebody else. Yeah. So that's the hardest thing. But it's an uh, it's evolution. That's the best way I can describe it. It's all evolution because you get into there and you get you learn so much and it's practice 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 that is the only way that i found that i could evolve better to become a better reader or a worker and for my students i have yet to find any other way that there's a shortcut it's just you've got to work with practice and you know and some people are going to be great at spirit communication some people are going to be okay some people are going to be great uh, as psychics, and not as much uh, mediumship. And the difference between mediumship and, and, and psychic abilities is a psychic can ascertain and feel what's going on within their environment, and a medium can do that plus uh, engage in two-way communication. So sometimes you're going to be good at one thing, sometimes you're going to be good at other things. I teach psychometry, which is where you work with the vibration of an object, Mm-hmm. And you have it in a box or your bag, and you hold it in your hand, and you you read it and try to figure out what's in that what's in that you know what's hidden, what's in that box or bag. And I'm not good at it. 
I can teach it, but I'm not, that's not my strong point. And other people, I have a piece of, to- of coal that came off of the Titanic. I had a, wow. I, I, I had a student that just grabbed that thing and went, man, this thing was hidden for, for a bunch of years. I feel like it's been underwater. I mean, just, just went up every step, figured out every description. And it was amazing. So some people can do that. Uh, it is crazy. And I, I, I love when that happens. So it just proves to me that everybody can do something. And then you can train yourself along the way to try to get better within these pieces, these, these areas that you're not as good in. Yeah, that's true. When you, when you do your mediumship, like you mentioned you uh, go with uh, other investigators in your area or out of state, do you bring um, certain kind of equipment with you along with your mediumship readings in that haunted location? It depends. Now, like I did a, I did a uh, episode for Portals to Hell with uh, my friend Katrina Weedman and Jack Osborne, and uh, we were where were we? Uh, we were in Arizona someplace, and um, uh, I had brought just basically a recorder for myself just to uh, record the session as I as I was working, and I brought uh, dowsing rods because I do dowsing. And uh, they had asked me to bring a Ouija board. So I brought one of my Ouija by antique Ouija boards from my collection, and that's it. Uh, it, it all depends on, on uh, uh, what they want me to do. If I'm going to do the walkthrough, then I, I basically won't bring anything. Uh, on a good day, if, if a team wants me to do a walkthrough, I'll come out to the location and I do the walkthrough. I record it, and I use a Zoom, and I have an SD card in there, and I pull the SD card at the end of it and give it to the team leader. And say there you go and then i leave because a lot of times psychics and mediums any all sensitives have a habit sometimes of overtaking the the investigation all of a sudden this uh investigation that was supposed to be more uh meter and uh, audio recording uh, orientated suddenly becomes all about the medium i'm feeling this i'm feeling that and they overtake it and that's all well and good but you shouldn't do that. Uh, it depends on the investigation. Again, if the lead investigator or the team wants me to do that, that's fine. But if they want something that is some is is uh, if they're looking to gather palatable evidence, then that's that's cool too. Uh, I mean, so I I've I've got every believe me, I've got every piece of paranormal equipment there is in the, <laughs> that's made or some variation of it. And uh, it all depends. It you know it it's all up to the team leader. Now with me, I I will go and I'll work a, like a historic location. I walk in there and bang, uh, I'll feel something. Uh, you know, I'll bird dogger for myself, and then later on, I go back and I will work it with a uh, uh, with one of my recorders. I love the working with the recorders. Or uh, I'm very seldom do I get anything on on on, on video. Uh, IR is to me is you know. IR is nice if you're going to go and you're going to uh, record your sessions and, and try to edit them and uh, maybe put them on YouTube or something. But I'm not a big video. I'm not a big video guy. I like. Uh, I don't like IR. I kind of like UV light a lot better than IR light. Uh, plain red, which is not IR. It's a different red that they used in old time in you know your older time uh, photographic studios. Uh, I tend to like that type of uh, color. But uh, photographs, even full spectrums, because I've got full spectrum cameras here, and they're all right. 
but very seldom do I get anything. It's the audio for me that that really I get a lot of uh, uh, you know get a lot of hits from, and uh, I never liked scanners. I hated scanners. Spirit boxes hated them for years when they first came out. I had the first uh, Radio Shack hack boxes. I, I had a bunch of those and never liked any of them. It wasn't until uh, people started hooking up the uh, guitar pedals to them where you started, uh, like, your noise limiters, your noise killers on there, yeah. uh, that you're able to go and really filter out a lot of background noise. And I love using those now because uh, otherwise they're just headache. Just They just gave you headaches. That's the only way I can describe it. Now at least you can start hearing uh, if there is any kind of two-way communication, if there's any kind of words that are actually being said in real time, like an answer to your question. So, I mean, I've got... I don't know. I've got probably uh, probably 12, 13 uh, scanners and hack radios, and I've got three sets of spirit boxes with different, uh, you know, with, with different guitar pedals on it. You know, some have some have echoes. One has a reverb. Another one has uh, a reverb with a uh, bass equalizer on it. So I, I love being that. That's cool because that's an experiment. Those are experimental pieces, but. For the most part, it all depends. Again, it all depends on on where I'm going, who I'm working with, uh, whether you know whether what I what I pack. If I'm going on long, I'm about going on a long uh, uh, you know road trip someplace. Like if I go up to Nor, if I go up to Sault Ste. Marie, Sault, yeah, Sault Ste. Marie up in Michigan, I won't bring a lot. I'll just bring a recorder and I bring my uh, I bring dowsing rods and maybe a pendulum because I've got a I've got to be on a plane and I got to light pack light. But if I'm traveling someplace, if I'm in my car, I'll I'll, I'll put a I'll put a tote of stuff out there, you know, just so I yeah. have extra stuff that I can work with. Um, you, my my personal favorite um, paranormal equipment is also the digital recorder as well. We caught of uh, my group Ghost Travelers. We caught amazing audio class mm-hmm. class A class B whatever. What's your Best audio evidence in a location have you ever caught with your Zoom? Well, I use a Zoom. I use a, I use a real old Sony digital. Uh, and then I've got a real I've got a real cheap uh, real cheap one we got from China, very very cheap. And uh, the thing that I had to do with the uh, the, the Chinese uh, recorder has very little filter on it. That's the big thing that you have to always look for. You have to try to get rid of as much filtration on on your equipment as possible. The Sony I stripped down, and when I use the Zoom, I've used a Zoom too. And that one, uh, also, you can go and you can strip it down. I know uh, Tascam, you can do the same thing, which is probably the next one I'm going to pick up. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Uh, with the Zoom 2, I was up at Waverly a number of years ago, and I got Don't Touch Me, which wow. was an A. And uh, we were filming a we were filming uh, a pilot, and uh, we were at where we're all oh, we were at Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia, and we were out there for about six weekends, six four day weekends, because it was a pilot that was you know in production and. You know, it was it was, had been green lighted by a network at the time uh, to be you know to be examined. You know, because for every thousand for every uh, thousand sizzle reels that you go and you send in or you record, maybe maybe a hundred 
our thousand get chosen to go a little bit further and then out of that thousand a hundred actually get looked at and maybe 10 go into consideration so we were in that 10 we were in that 10 group so we had made the full pilot and uh we had was i got uh we were behind these uh officer barracks and it was about 10 o'clock in the morning and if anybody knows anything about filming filming's a pain in the rear end because of the fact that man you're you get there and you're going to be on site by like nine o'clock in the morning and uh uh you're there you may not they may not use you until seven eight o'clock at night wow. you know you're just kind of wandering around so a buddy of mine that were that uh we were both on there together said let's do our own investigations this is ridiculous let's why are we wasting our time and we get a chance to wander around you know the rest of the crews that are do are in this one other section let's you let's you and me do all this other stuff i said yeah let's do investigations during the day so we were we were wandering and we were doing all sorts of uh, uh compass uh you know compass experiments and but the best evp was that was so loud and clear was get the f out wow it was clear a it was unbelievable. We walked up to the, this director, right? Go, hey, Alan, listen to this. And he's like, oh, my God. Who said that? I said, well, we got this over in this area. So we sent it to him. We gave it to him. And, of course, they didn't use it because of the fact that uh, they decided that they wanted to use a uh, uh, a made-up scene because they had an actual actor there uh, that was supposedly part of the team. And, uh, you know, that's TV. It's TV. What are you going to do? Uh, but... That was that was probably one of the the strongest ones. And the other ones that we've gotten the great ones are uh, a place uh, a couple hours drive from here, Hinsdale, the, the old Hinsdale house. And uh, I've been going up there since 2011, and that place gets crazy. We've gotten unbelievable. I, I've never been up there with that I didn't get at least one or two B B level uh, uh, EVPs. But my buddy's got a, one of those SR60s, one of those really expensive old uh, pieces of equipment that yeah. Sony or no Panasonic, I think, went and they discontinued. And he gets, come, why don't you just come to me and die? That was like crazy. That wow. was a crazy night. We got that one, and uh, always get FUs or, or you know, hey, what do you want? Or go away? Or you know, uh, you know, I see you stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, that, that consistently we get them there. And then Fort Niagara up here by me, that, that's another place we get a lot of good ones. And, uh, but, yeah, we get, you know, I've, I've got a few of them. I've got a lot of residential ones that have some interesting uh, responses. But those are the best. Those were the best ones. But Hinsdale was the craziest one. Um, for the short amount of time that we have right now, can you tell us a little bit of history about the Hinsdale House that if any of my listeners have never heard about it? Sure. Hinsdale, the Hinsdale House uh, was built by the McMahon family in the 1800s. And it's an old farmhouse. It's just an old farmhouse. And there used to be a barn. And now uh, there's a pond where the barn was. They knocked the barn down. They dug a pond. It's... Uh, at the time, back right, I'd say right up until the late 90s, it was pretty isolated up there. Now there's more, there used to just be hunting camps. Now there's more people living there. And uh, in the 1970s, a uh, family, the Dandy family went and bought this, this uh, little, you know, this little area, this little farm area, the farmette is what I call it, but it's a, uh, uh, 
just parcel of land with the house and, and pond on it. And uh, they started experiencing like strange stuff. Uh, they saw stuff in the woods behind the house. Uh, things started to happen inside the house. Uh, they saw ghosts in the house. They, they had all sorts of uh, things that would disappear and reappear. And uh, uh, they saw used to see a girl at the end of the pond that would be like spinning, like dancing. She had red hair and buck teeth. They, witnesses had told me all sorts of really crazy stuff. And uh, it, matter of fact, at one point, uh, something almost so it's she described as a monster chased her down this hill and into the house where and she barricaded herself in inside a, a room oh wow uh, which was you know it was it was that horrific because it was there was a couple there was some daughters you know like three two or three daughters and a son that lived in the house along with the mother and father and uh it really it it got really heightened it was it got in kind of insane there and word got out, and of course it became a a, uh, a tourist trap. Is basically what happened. Uh, people would—it's a dead end road, so people would go and be trying to see this. And they were—they used to go and they used to sit in the driveway with a with a gun uh, to go and you know deter people from coming and bothering them all the time. Eventually, uh, they brought in a priest from uh, St. Bonaventure University, which is uh, a, a huge uh university a great university in uh Olean, new york uh father alphonsus trebolt and trebolt uh came to the house and really didn't feel anything but he did a mass in the kitchen well whenever you do any kind of religious uh religious ritual or like a cleansing or whatever it can either it can either stay the same it, the activity can drop or it can amp up and of course what happened it amped up and it started getting worse and worse and worse uh, to the point where he actually did what they call an exorcism, uh, location exorcism, on the house. And as they were doing it, they felt the house shudder. And uh, there was a uh, film company from NYU there. And uh, the guy that had the boom mic heard a scream in the house. You wow. Know? It, it, and, it, and after it, it, it kind of settled down a little bit. And... I would say three to four months later, it started to amp up. Finally, they had enough. They literally abandoned the house. They took whatever they could pack in their car. They left, and they ended up going to the West Coast. They were in, uh, I think, Washington or Oregon, uh, and uh, Clara Dandy, who she got remarried. She, she got divorced and remarried. Uh, her name is Miller now. And uh, uh, she, I interviewed her a few times, and she says... Uh, the reason why they left was Father Alphonsus Travolta said the house wants to kill you. And they were gone. And uh, at one time, they, they heard like a baby crying in the basement. And this, is, this is all the stuff that would go on in this location. It, it, was, it was like insane. It was just so big. And the, uh, they had purchased the house from the person who was holding the mortgage, which means they were paying this person a monthly, you know, a monthly payment until yeah. the, until the mortgage, mortgage mortgage was done. But if they default, defaulted on it, it would go back to the owner. Well, it that happened numerous times, numerous times. And I interviewed a couple of people that either rented the location or bought the location, and they all, every one of them had uh, paranormal uh, experiences there. 
the, the very last people, uh, the Mishniks, uh, they were an older couple that bought it, and they had experiences there. And when they passed away, again, it reverted back to the, you know, to the family who owned the house, you know, that held the mortgage. And then there was, a, a, we heard, like, in 2011, they were going to go and they were going to tear this down. And, and I had heard about it uh, probably back in the 80s about how uh, haunted this house was because it was big. It ended up making the news uh, back in the late 70s and 80s. And uh, I had heard that it was, you know, they were going to bulldoze it. They were going to get rid of it. So we got permission to go and visit the location. And at that time, the uh, windows were all ripped out, and they had already stripped out all the copper. They were tearing, you know, they, somebody stole the furnace. And, you know, it was just, you know, in total disrepairs. They kicked in the front door. So we went in there, and we were photographing it. And... Uh, we saw, I mean, the, one of the rooms, uh, we had photographed the entire room, and all of a sudden my buddy goes later on in the night, he goes, hey, look over here, and a white silk flower was in the middle, dead center of the room. We wow. didn't, there was like two of us, you know, so that we knew it was, we didn't know it was there, or we know none of us put it there. And uh, we had heard all sorts of stuff going on. It was beautiful during the day. At night, it, get, it got a whole different, like, atmosphere, different atmosphere. And I was standing on these stairs going to the second floor, and my buddy was in one of the main bedrooms, and we were talking and going back and forth. And all of a sudden, I looked down, and I could feel myself. Something kept saying, look at me. And I looked down, and there was a you know, folding door at the bottom, and uh, there was a little girl standing there, and she was holding on to the you know, slats of this folding door, looking up, smiling at me. And she looked like as real as all of us, you know? And, wow. Uh, so we, you know, I just kind of blinked my eyes there, and she was still there. I'd say she was there for probably a good 12, 13 seconds, which, you know, you're, you guys know. I mean, if you see something, there ain't never anything that's going to stay that long. Yeah. And she kind of was smiling at me, and I still remember exactly what she looked like and what she was kind of wearing. And my buddy had just, like, made a little noise, and I, my, I shifted my eyes to look into the bedroom where he was, and then I looked back down, she's gone. So I went down those stairs, the back door had been nailed shut, there's only one way to get in, one way to get out, which was the, which was the front door. Went out, and nothing there, nobody there, no, there was a hillock behind it, and there was no, there's no leaves on the trees, it was like November, there was, no, it was the first week of December, and there was nothing behind it, and there was nobody in the fields across, nobody on the road, and I mean, you could see far, because there are no leaves up, and uh, she was gone. So I emailed Clara and I said geez Clara you know I know that you guys talked about she has a book she wrote about her time there it's called Echoes of a Haunting and her and she uh re-edited the book it's called uh, Echoes of a Haunting Revisited now by Clara Miller and uh she talked about having a you know seeing a girl on the you know on the first floor so I wrote to her and said listen just in the off chance this is what I saw you know this is you know I described the girl is this what you what you saw and she wrote back to me after a couple of weeks and she said you gave me a start it sounds it you described my daughter laura wow now, laura when they went to the west coast uh laura was uh, the one who they felt that the priest felt uh the poltergeist activity you know was uh, uh caused by and uh, i guess she was a little unbalanced but uh, uh i don't know uh medically uh what you know what was going on there but they you know the priest you know suspected it and uh she had committed suicide a number of years 
after they went to the West Coast. So uh, that kind of was like, that was a wow moment where it was like, holy cow, I just described her daughter. And what really struck me was it was December, and if anybody lives, it's like it's like you guys, man, up in Wisconsin. That's how cold it gets down there, you know? It's always yeah. it's always like two degrees or five degrees down there. We had Gore-Tex on, but we had, our, we had Carhartts and Gore-Tex, and, you know, there's no heat in this place, no electricity in this place. And sure enough, I mean, it was... There was a girl there standing with with jeans and a, a polyester shirt on, you know, blouse on, and we're all seeing our breath. So, yeah, that was that place is crazy. And now it's funny. It went through a bunch of people that kind of I don't know if they leased it or rented it, and they were going to make a try to make it into a museum or whatever, and all all that fell through. And then my buddy Dan Kless bought it, and uh, he has done unbelievably an unbelievable job new roof and windows and uh, put a heating system in it and upgraded so much to it. And, you know, and most of the money he makes off of that house, I mean, oh, the vast majority goes right back into it. And he rents it out. He rents it out for uh, paranormal investigations and uh, people that want to stay overnight in it. And, you know, and again, it's an old, just an old farmhouse, but I, I absolutely love it. And look for, uh, there's, there's going to be an upcoming show with uh, Nick Groff where they're going to go and they're going to, have some really neat revelations that I can't disclose to anybody, but I'm going to tell you something. It make all I'm going to say is I know what they found uh, in their investigations and in the physical and paranormal investigations. And I went and said, "Wow!" So Nick Groff will be having a special. I'm not sure if it's going to be on Netflix or a video space or or whatever. But uh, he's done extensive work up there, uh, and uh, uh, if anybody ever wants to go up there, there's, I believe uh, uh, there's a website uh, dedicated to uh, Hinsdale House done by uh, Dan Kloss. And I'll put, and I'll try to find that link, and I'll put it in the bottom of the description of this uh, episode if anybody's interested in that awesome. Hinsdale House. Um, Tim, awesome. well, I think that's all about for this episode um is there like a a website or social media that you would like people to follow you on well i do have a website it's it's www.timothytshaw all one word dot com that has a lot of my uh uh the events that i'm on and and some of the some of the classes that i teach and that sort of stuff and uh if you can follow me tim shaw on facebook there's uh, it's funny. You want to talk about something spooky? I I had an old we- uh, Facebook uh, page, and it went and it react. I, I shut it down and reactivated. So it's not Timothy Shaw. It's Tim T I M Shaw. That's the Facebook page I'm on. That has everything. That's my personal one. You'll see. You'll see what I'm doing outside of the paranormal with it, plus with the paranormal. And you guys can uh, uh, follow. You guys, if anybody wants to listen to me prattle along like an old washerwoman. Uh, every Tuesday night, I have the Black Cat Lounge on. I do a Facebook Live, and I bring in different guests, and we and we talk about paranormal and metaphysical stuff on there. So it's all a lot of fun. So there you go. That that's me in a nutshell. Well, Tim, again, thank you so much for your time for coming on Ghost Travelers Podcast. I really do appreciate it. It was fun. It's an honor to uh, be asked on. And, it was, and uh, you know, thanks a lot, man. You know, it, it, this is. This is what it's all about, getting the, getting the information out and, and sharing it and uh, having fun. That's a, big, that's a big thing, having fun. 
It sure is. Well, everyone, I think that's all for uh, today's episode. Take care and travel safe. I would really like to say thank you to Tim about coming on Ghost Travelers Podcast. If you would like to get to know a little bit more about Tim, please head over at his website at timothytshaw.com. I will also put all of his links in the bottom of the description of this podcast episode as well for you can find them more easily. If you like this episode of Ghost Travelers Podcast, please give it a positive rating and leave a comment down below and tell us how we did. And also, please consider on hitting that subscribe button for new episodes on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays for you don't miss a new episode. Thank you for listening. This is your host, PJ, for Ghost Travelers Podcast. Take care and travel safe.